Belinda Gann. <laughs> Thanks. If you would pray with me. Father, we come to you expectant. I thank you so much that um, you love us no matter what. I thank you so much that you speak to our hearts, no matter who's speaking to our ears. And I certainly pray that's the case today. I pray for each of us to hear what we need from you, from your spirit, regardless of the words that come out of my mouth. So regardless of what I have planned, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you take over and you turn it into something that we need. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I am thrilled. I'm sorry I'm not Robert. Um, what can you say? My students sitting out there are going, oh my gosh, I'm hearing her tomorrow. Um, we are going to talk about um, the family, and Robert's done a great job, all, you know, all basically for the whole series. There are lots of things that keep us up at night. Um, family's one of them. Sometimes it's just life with your family. Family members get sick. It's nobody's fault. It's just what happens. Um, Lots of things about our family. We're just worried about them. Um, but a lot of think of what causes us a lot of pain is kind of the dysfunction of the family, which is really why Robert probably asked me to talk. Um, we got a lot of it at our house. Um, but I will tell you this. If, it, if you feel like, you know, everybody's family is dysfunctional because we're all imperfect. Um, but you got company if you just look in the Bible. You know, basically... You know, you have that great name of Abraham and how wonderful he is. Well, he was, but let me just tell you, not always. You know, he, did try, he tried to pass his wife off as his sister so somebody wouldn't kill him. Um, then later there was a point, you know, where they didn't have any children, and so his wife said, well, why don't you, you know, basically take my maid? And he went, well, if you insist. <laughs> you know, um, spoiler alert, it didn't go well. Okay, so, you know, never, never a good idea. Some things are just never a good idea. Um, you know, you look at Jacob. You know, his parents played favorites. He was his mom's. His twin was his dad's. And it nearly got them both killed. And then what does Jacob turn right around and do? He grows up, and he plays favorites and nearly gets his son Joseph killed. You know, David, great man of the Bible, was an adulterer, and when he thought he was going to get caught, he basically had the husband killed to protect himself. And those sound really awful because they are really awful. But you see, they're a snapshot of that person's life. And it's never about the snapshot. It's about the whole album. And if you turn in Matthew in that first chapter, all three of those names are listed in the lineage of Jesus. And that gives me hope. So you're not alone. And I do agree that Robert said that, you know, the family, for most of us, is probably our greatest source of joy and pain. You know, in the forward to the shack, I really like, I'm the only person that probably reads a forward. Um, uh, it basically says, that most of our pain in life comes through relationships. 
but so does most of our healing. And I think that's on purpose. So I know that there's so many things that keep us up at night with spouses. I mean, sometimes your, your, your marriage is wonderful, and then even with a good marriage, you have those times where it's not so much. Sometimes you have betrayal, and sometimes you just fight, you can't agree, and sometimes somebody's sick, and I mean, it just, it's just hard. With your children, I mean, there's always something to worry about. As old as I am, mine are grown. I still worry. I mean, you never, there is no goal line where you cross the goal line and you spike the ball. They're your kids forever. And so I worry about things that are real problems, but I make up stuff and I worry about that. <laughs> like I don't have enough of the real. This could happen. You know, I've got parents. Our parents are getting older now. And it's really, really hard when you have aging parents and they're there in body, but they're not there in mind. And you want to take care of them, and you can't even communicate that to them. And they're mad because their life's not good. And I can't make it better. I can't make them 40. See, some of them are going, 40, that's awful. When you're my age, it's great. So, you know, it's all about perspective. Siblings, some of us have great ones, some of us not so much. I mean, there's a lot there. Now, the first thing I'm going to tell you is this. Um, I heard a story one time, and uh, family of origin is real important. You know, family of origin is the family that you grew up in, where you were the kid. And the things that happened to you, the experiences, what you learned, what you caught, you take with you. I heard a story one time about a girl that got married, and she went to make her first, you know, roast and she got her pan out and she cut the ends off the roast on both ends and threw that meat away and put the, put the meat in the pan. And her, her new husband said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm making a roast. And he said, well, why'd you cut the ends off the roast? She goes, that's what you do. And he goes, why? And, well, that's what my mama did. So, you know, later when he wasn't around, she called her mama. And she said, why, why, did, why did we cut the end off a roast? Is that like bad meat? Or what do we, what's the deal here? Is this like her mother goes, well, that's what you do. That's what my mama did. And so they called the grandmother. And they said, why did we cut the end off a roast? And she said, what are you talking about? She said, when you cooked a roast, you always cut the end off both ends and threw that meat away. And the grandmother thought, because it had been a while, and she goes, well, that's because I didn't have a pan big enough. I'm just saying, some of us are throwing away some good things. We're living in somebody else's reality. And so I think it is super, to me, important. There's a scripture I want you to look at. It's kind of a strange scripture because it used to bother me, but I like this translation of the scripture. It's in Numbers chapter 14, and it's verse 18. God, slow to get angry and huge in loyal love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. Still, never just whitewashing sin, but extending the fallout of the parent's sin to the children into the third and even the fourth generation. Now, most translations say punish. And I've always been uncomfortable with that word punish. I think this is more accurate. It's fallout. It's not that if my parents did something bad, I'm going to pay the ticket. <laughs> it's when we sin, there are consequences for that sin, and they follow through a family. Let, let me tell you, here's my analogy. 
it's like there's when, when, when we have a family of origin and we catch or learn and we have all these experiences, in our conscious and in our subconscious, it's like they're strings. And so when an event happens, especially if it was an event that was a lot of emotion around it for us, that string gets jerked. And there are two natural tendencies when somebody jerks you. Either you follow the jerk and you go that way, or you jerk away and you go the opposite direction. And so you have to know when your chain's getting pulled. Let me give you kind of a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. I grew up in a family, and I'm telling you, if you know me, I love my daddy. Best daddy on the planet, just saying. I don't know what you think, but you're wrong. Okay, I got it. He loves me best. But here is a character, but he's not perfect. And one of his characteristics when I was growing up is he had a, he had a bad temper. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't handle it well. He, was, he would rage. So when he would get mad, he would just explode. So I didn't like that. So I decided when I got married, I wasn't going to marry a man with a bad temper. And I didn't. But I married a man that never got mad. Well, that's not normal. I love you, baby. You understand? What I did was this. I knew that it was unhealthy to rage. But here's the problem. What I, what I was in my mind, I wanted a person who could handle anger appropriately. But I didn't know what that looked like. I just knew that wasn't it. So I went in the ditch on the other side. He couldn't handle anger either. But it was just the backside of the same coin. Now, why was he that way? Because his dad raged. See, he and I did the same jerk. So if I don't know what's healthy, sometimes I will jerk away from it. Not doing that. Well, let me show you a time that I jerked toward it. There was a time in my life when there was a few years back when I had a really traumatic experience happen to me. And one of my children saw that and said, are you okay? And I did exactly, the jerk happened, and I jerked toward my mom. And I drew myself up, and I smiled, and I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because that's what my mama did. That's what her mama did. That's what her mama did. So this jerking toward and away from, and it can be something like even silly, like, well, it's not silly, but in my family of origin, um, I got promises broken to me a lot. And so once again, I swore I would never do that. I'm never breaking a promise. Do you see what I did again? I jerked away. So let's fast forward to, my children figure this out real quick. So I had promised to take them to get ice cream after supper. Well, basically, it's coming a hurricane. I mean, like tornado sirens, you see what I'm saying? And Kelly goes, let's go get ice cream. And I said, we can't get ice cream, look at the weather. And she looked at me and she goes, you promised. Now, here's what I did, that, that string got jerked, you promised. So in my mind, I've got two choices. Keep it or break it. I don't know there's anything in the middle. And so I said, get in the car. 
And Don looked at me and he goes, you are not taking them out. for I promised if they die, they die. <laughs> now, I will tell you this. Now that I'm telling that story, it does dawn on me right at this moment that both my children are, are uneasy with weather. Okay. So, sorry. So I'm just telling you. Now, here's the thing I want to make sure we understand, though. I'm not telling you that so that you think, oh, I have no choice. Look at this statement about family of origin. Our family of origin does to some extent define us, but it does not have to confine us if we learn to deal with it. Revisit my statement to my child. I'm fine. Now that was not true. So about a year later, I had to go back to both of my children separately. And here's what I had to say. This was after therapy. I said, I need to apologize to you. And he said, why? And I said, I lied. And I need you to understand something. I said, when that bad thing happened to me that was so traumatic, and you asked me if I was fine, and I said, that wasn't true. And I said, here's what I should have said to you. I said, because here's what I'm thinking. Heaven forbid this same thing happened to you later, and you feel all devastated and upset, and you think, well, I should be fine. Something's wrong with me. My mama was fine. And I said, what I should have spoken to you was truth. What I should have said was, I'm not fine, but I will be. And it's not your job to get me there. That's Jesus' job. And Jesus always does his job. That's what, that's what I learned. I learned that when that jerk happens, I don't have to go toward or opposite of the jerk. Now, sometimes that might be the choice that's right. But most of the time, it's somewhere in the middle. But I have to know that in order to choose that. So I can't change my past, but I can learn from it. God can redeem. That's one of my favorite coaches of the Bible is Boaz. You know, Boaz's mother was Rahab the ex-prostitute. Now, I'm from Kosciuszko. I'm just telling you. You know, here's a, here's a man whose mother was an ex-prostitute and a foreigner. He grew up with that. The Bible doesn't even talk about that. That had to be hard. I know in Kosciuszko, if you're just a foreigner, that's enough. I mean, we got one that's got a mail-order bride. We're still talking about it. You know what I'm saying? So, so when Ruth comes along, a foreigner... See, God redeems that. He knows, what it, he knows what a woman feels like. And he acts out of kindness toward her and compassion toward her. He didn't jerk this way or that way. He did it appropriately. So this idea that I don't have to go in a ditch on the left and a ditch on the right. So it's, looking at your family of origin issues isn't to blame somebody. That's not what that's for. That is to understand who you are and why you react in certain ways. 
Because when my reaction is like out of proportion to what's happening, that's when I know, oh my goodness, I'm dealing with something down here. I need to figure out what's jerking that string so that I can understand it. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not very good at this yet, but I'm, I, I'm like a 14-year-old learning to drive. You know, I'm constantly overcorrecting, ditch on the left, ditch on the right, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping it'll get better. Now, you leave that family of origin, and then you kind of get a family of, I don't know what we can call it, choice, creation, new, that you have some say-so in. Now, you can look in lots of places in the Bible, well, lots may be an overstatement, you know, Ephesians 5 and 6 talk a good bit about parent-child relationship and spousal relationships. So this scripture that I'm going to put up may seem a strange choice, but it's 1 John 4, 10 through 11. It says, and this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I need to love my family because God loves me, and they're my first responsibility. Sometimes we treat the people outside better than we treat the people inside. Now, things that keep you up at night if you're married, there's just a plethora with your spouse. Um, what I would say is this. There are a lot of single people out here. That's great. Getting married is not going to fix all of your problems. A couple of pieces of advice that I would give you is this, and I always suggest this. I would get a list. I mean, I would make a list of the traits I'm looking for in a life partner. And some of those are negotiable and some of those are not. And you never negotiate on the non-negotiable. You just don't. Because you don't know who you're going to fall in love with. Now, who you marry and who you fall in love with, two different questions. Guys have a handle on that, girls not so much. Now let me tell you two characteristics on my list. Just to kind of give you, some, some are, are kind of big and some, some are spiritual and some just aren't spiritual. One of mine that wasn't spiritual was good communicator. You know, I did not want to be talking to myself. Now that also meant a good listener mostly now that I think about it. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> that was non-negotiable. Just because of who I am, I needed that. But now the other thing on my list that was non-negotiable came from my spiritual mentor. He asked me one time, he said, Melinda, do you know the only biblical reason for getting married? All I could think of was so you wouldn't burn with lust, but I didn't think that was a good thing to, to, <laughs> to bring up. So, you know, I played along and I said, Uncle Coleman, I, what? And he said, the only biblical reason for getting married is that you can serve Jesus better with that person than you can without. That was a non-negotiable on my list. Now that list may change over time. You, you change over time. But you need a list. And then you need to put that list kind of aside and concentrating on being a person that person would need. I don't have any control over that. I do have control over this. Now if you're married, you don't get to pull the list out and go, new dude's got seven traits. You only had five. 
that same spiritual mentor asked me, do you know, I said, how do you know you found the right person? Because, you know, I was looking. And he looked at me and he said, when you say, I do. That becomes God's person for you. God can do miracles. But now as I look out there, I see people that I very much love that are divorced. And I need you to hear me say this. This is one I understood. When Don was a, when my husband was a pastor at, um, at Wendell, one of the members, their only son, was killed in an automobile accident. And Don had to go to their house at like 6 in the morning because the highway patrol had called Don from Texas. So he has to go to somebody's house and tell them their only son is gone. So several hours later when he got back, he sat down on the bed and I said, are you okay? Are they okay? And he just looked at me. I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, I hate death. And all of a sudden, those words in the Bible I never understood became crystal clear. I hate divorce. He hates the hurt. The hurt. Because he knows it's so painful for his children. He can work a miracle in any life. I think one of my favorite things, um, the marriage conference, I told Robert I really should just like use his whole material and pretend that that was mine. Um, but one of the things I really appreciated about John Cox was basically him saying, it's not that you have marriage problems because you have a bad marriage, and it's not marriage problems because, you have, because somebody's a bad person. It's because you're both broken and missing things. And what you need is a repentant spirit, the possibility that I'm missing something, the possibility that I can be better and, you know, repentant doesn't mean sorry only. Repentant means you change. And so it's this idea of let's learn to do it better. Now, children, they're a whole other category. Now, I will tell you this. My best friend lives in Florida, and I was visiting a few months ago, and her daughter came in from Disney. Now, when you're in Orlando, you go to Disney all the time. And Brooke's in her 20s, and when she walked in, she goes, Melinda, I have to tell you what happened. And I said, what? She goes, I was in the bathroom, and she said, never in my whole life I've been in the Disney bathroom alone. But she said, there wasn't anybody else in the bathroom, and she said, I was in a stall way at the back. And she said, I'd been in there about a minute, and all of a sudden she heard the door open and shut, and she heard this female voice go, Jesus, please. Help me not to kill my children in the happiest place on earth. Amen. I thought it was great. You know what I'm saying? Like, the woman did appropriately. She took a moment. She went. She sought help from somebody who could help. You know what I'm saying? Went back out. I'm just saying. So, it's not just you. It's hard. If you, if you knew it was that hard... You people would not be here because your parents wouldn't have even had you. You know what I'm saying? It is not, it's a trick. If you hadn't had a kid yet, it's a trick. It's a trick. 
Now, that verse got quoted a thousand times. Train up a child in the way he should go. You know what I'm saying? And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You know what I mean? And he was going, oh, my gosh, I'm going to church again. We had to memorize scripture. Now, there is nothing wrong with going to church memorizing scripture. Do not go home and say, Melinda said you could not do that. But my people were emphasizing the word should. You know, should and shame start with the same two letters, I'm just saying. I think maybe the emphasis is he. Train up a child in the way he should go. It's not about making a mini-me. It's about helping that person realize that he or she is a unique, perfectly imperfect creation of God. Not trying to make them perfect or spiritual or turn the musician into an athlete or, you know, you're kind of weak. I'm going to make you, I'm going to teach you to buck up. Helping that child figure out who he or she is and be true to the person God made them to be. And it's when you're comfortable in your own skin, when you really do believe that, you don't depart from it. Now, I'm going to preach something that I didn't do very well, but I didn't know. But now that I understand it, I did it some, but not as well. Of course, it's always going to be the case when you're the mom or the dad, I'm just saying. It always could have been done better. But my comfort is God was perfect and look at Adam and Eve, so I'm just saying. Where are my students? Somebody, no, I'm kidding Okay, some defined function. Okay. Hope is a function of struggle. It's not an emotion. It's a thought process. It's got three parts to it. It's not about telling your child they're perfect, they're great, they're wonderful. You know, you go in and you fix all their problems. You know, nobody's going to criticize you. I'm going to hush that voice. You know, I know that's hard. I'm going to rescue you. You forgot your homework. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's hope is a function of struggle that's got three parts to it. Part number one is, basically, you have to be able to set reasonable goals. And then once you set those reasonable goals, you have to find multiple paths. You have to learn to be flexible. Because when you start going down one path and it gets blocked, you've got to have the ability to switch to another path. And the third component is you've got to believe you can do it. That's what I should have been teaching my children. Because I won't always be here to fix their problems. A parent's job is not to make their child's life easy. Not to even make the child happy. Everybody in here is just cussing me now. For the, it's under the age of 18. That's where hope comes from. Hope comes from something being really, really hard. And you doing it. And then you stand up a little straighter. And then you have a memory. I did it. So the next time something comes along and it's hard, you can still do it. So if your child's not happy and your child's life's not perfect, it's not that you're doing it wrong. But it's sure it's hard to watch. 
I've always prayed two prayers for my children. The first one they call unfair. It was that I always got caught. Because I thought it was very unfair to tell that to Jesus. And the second was they don't have any unnecessary pain. Not that they don't have any pain. Because my other prayer was make them like you. Happy and holy don't always go together. Joy does. Now, let me tell you another story about me. When I was in college, I went to help the Baptist student in the BSU. I went to help um, make a meal. And the BSU, assistant BSU director, June, I said, what can I do? And she goes, peel those potatoes over there. Okay. So I opened a drawer, got my knife out, and started peeling the potatoes. And June went, no, 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 no. I looked at her. And she went to the drawer, and she pulled out this thing, this contraption, and she handed it to me. And she said, that knife's cutting off too much potato. I learned this thing was called a potato peeler. <laughs> I looked at the potato, and I looked at the peeler, and I, I looked at June, and now the, the, my, my sin of choice is pride, so it took me a lot to look at June and go, I don't know what to do with this. And she took the potato and took the peeler and I took, oh my gosh, how long has this been a thing? Oh my gosh, they don't have these in Kosciuszko. I mean, I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Not at my house. So what I'm about to give you are some potato peelers. They make your life better. Now, you can be my grandmother, because when I went home pumped about potato peeler, I said, Mama, watch this. She goes, isn't that nice? <laughs> and she put the potato peeler right back in that drawer, took her knife right back out, started cutting those potatoes. So my potato peeler number one for you is counseling. Why would you not get a professional? Now, my disclaimer is my daughter does say I'm a Jehovah's Witness for counseling. So that's true. It is true. But why would you not? It has been wonderful for me. And one of the things I've learned in counseling is this phrase. The story I've made up in my head is. It's the reason we're still married. When you don't have all the facts, you will make up a story in your head to fill them in. And that person can't see your made-up story. So I get dressed, and I look at Don and say, how do I look? And he says, fine. I have to be brave enough to look at him and go, the story I've made up in my head is that I'll do. but I don't rock those jeans like I did when I was 30 because I rocked them when I was 30. And that makes me feel scared because there are 30-year-olds that still rock their jeans. The story I've made up in my head is, and that makes me feel. I'm also all about reading. You know, I'm a teacher. Now, I don't usually throw books up here, but I'm just saying, one of them that I found very helpful is a book called Boundaries. 
I'd email you could have those. I didn't even realize that it's like a, not a wall, but it's a fence with a gate and the box on the inside. And I can open it and let people in. And I can close it and just talk over the fence to them. I also didn't realize that I shouldn't get in your yard unless I'm invited. It's like, but they're weeds. I can pull those for you. I have a friend that said she told her therapist, she said, I'm so good. He said, you sound like you're really good at fixing people. And she said, I am. And she said, it took me like five minutes to realize he was not saying that was good. <laughs> the other book is by Brene Brown. She's one of my favorites. You've heard me quote her before. Um, that's her first one, The Gifts of Imperfection. That book talks about how to be authentically vulnerable in you. Her next one is called Daring Greatly. It talks about how to be all in. And her new book was called Rising Strong. I kind of laugh because she says it's when you get your tail kicked. Because if you do the first two, you're going to get your tail kicked. It's how to get back up when you fall. Now, there's about a two-minute video I want you to watch by her. And again, it's one of my potato peelers. Truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes a 
Now, I did learn at the conference that's called abiding. And it's the highest level of intimacy. And that's one of the ways that God redeems. Because what happens is, when you're feeling that feeling, I know how that feels. So instead of trying to make it better, which I can't, I'm vulnerable and I go in myself and I pull out that experience where I felt the same. And I'm feeling sad with you. It's just not being alone. He reminded me yesterday, Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't always take things away. He takes them with. This is one of my favorite verses. It's Psalm 56, 8, and I love this translation. You've seen me tossing and turning through the night. You've collected all my tears and preserved them in your bottle. You've recorded every one in your book. That whole series we've been talking about, what keeps you up at night? He sees us every moment we're awake and every moment when we're asleep. And your tears are so important to him that he has them in a bottle, so to speak. You matter, and he sees, and he is with you. I say this prayer every day called the serenity prayer. This is kind of the short version. The whole thing is fabulous. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I pray it every day, multiple times a day. Because I need all three parts of that. Some things I can't change. I can't go back and change my past. Some things I can change. And I don't have to be brave to do that. But I'll be honest with you, my main problem is I don't know the freaking difference. Not long ago, I had a student um, at MC that was talking to me, and she was student teaching. And I just saw her in passing, and I said, how's it going? And she said, I said, do you like it? She goes, I love it. She said, but I, I, it's, I don't want to do, I don't want to do. And she was just like this. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, she's, she's teaching third grade. And she said, I've got a student. She said, his home life is awful. She goes, the section of town he lives in in Jackson, she says, there's shootings. I mean, it's just awful. She said his mom, I don't know where his dad is, his mom's not usually there. She said, I don't know if she's strung out on drugs, gone, she's just not there. He's got siblings. He has to be the adult in the house. If they have supper, it's because he cooked it. He wears dirty clothes because if he's going to wash them, he has to wash them. She said, I just can't sleep. It worries me all the time. I've tried and tried to think, and I said, whoa. Stop. She kind of looked at me. And I said, whoa. No. And I said, I get it. I've been exactly where you are. But here's the truth. The truth is, you can't change his home life. There's nothing you can do about that. And you tossing and turning and worrying and fretting and getting all upset is affecting what you can control. What you can control is his life from 7.30 in the morning to 2.30 in the afternoon. You have control over that. 
He can get to school at 7.30 in the morning, and he can relax because he gets to be a kid. You're the adult. You can make him feel loved because he is loved, and you can make sure he knows that. He's fed there. Somebody else is worried about his siblings. He's not. He gets to be a regular little boy. You get to teach him things that are going to make him successful. And I'm telling you, you take care of him from 7.30 to 2.30. He'll be able to make it from 2.30 to 7.30. You don't have the luxury of falling apart. You're the adult. So I need you, we'll be sad, we will pray, but I need you to focus on what you can do and put all your time and energy in that. I read this a while back, and I want to read it again. This is something that God has used to save me. Because this is the reality of a lot of people in this room. There are things that you can change, and there are some things that you can't. And it is great, and it is perfectly healthy to be so sad and upset about those things. And feel those feelings and let that go. It's called Welcome to Holland. And it's written, it was a blog in 1987 before there really was such a thing. And it's written by a woman that has a special needs child. But I think this applies to everybody who. What, what your reality is, is not what you ordered. This is, I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability, to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's just really all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands and the stewardess comes on and she says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean Holland? I, I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy all my life. I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland. And there you must stay. The important thing is they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks. And you must learn a whole new language. And you'll meet a whole new group of people that you would never have met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you start to look around. And you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. And Holland has tulips. And Holland even has some Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about how wonderful Italy is and what a wonderful time they're having there. And for the rest of your life, you'll say, 
Yeah. That's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away. Because the loss of that dream is very significant. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special and very lovely things about Holland. Nobody plans on hurting people. Nobody plans on getting hurt. Sometimes your spouse dies. Sometimes your child does things that you, you didn't want them to do. Sometimes you make poor choices to cope and you end up being an addict. Sometimes your plan was to have a baby and there hasn't been one. Your plan wasn't for your spouse to leave you. The plan wasn't for you to leave your spouse. And it is perfectly healthy and legitimate to be really sad about that. And some things you can change. And some things you can't. And we do need the wisdom to know the difference. But even if it's something you can't change, God redeems it. It's a special place where you are. It might not have been the place you planned. But if God has you there, it can be a good place. Now, I've already told you that I don't make promises. But I am right now. I promise you that God always makes a way. Always. No exception. And I promise you, whatever it is that's keeping you up at night, if you hand it over to him, he will redeem it. He will make it into something good for you. He always does his job. Let me pray.